very much. God bless you. God bless you. You may be seated, man. Nothing is greater than kindness. Nothing. People really don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And I have been extended kindness on steroids. Every time I come in contact with the iconic family known as the Blakes. They are not only iconic in the um, Church of God in Christ, but um, they are transformational figures throughout Christendom. And when I told my friends and colleagues in Louisville that I was preaching at West Angeles, they said, how did you get such a coveted appointment? And I said, well, it feels so much like that mew that was placed in the Kentucky Derby. And someone asked the owner of the mule, why did you put the mule in, your mule in the Kentucky Derby? Did you think he was going to win? And they said, nah. But I put him in because I thought that being around the thoroughbreds might have a positive influence on him. So whenever you sit down with Bishop Charles Blake, it always has a positive influence on you. So thank you so very much, Elder Lawrence, for the kind words of introduction, and to you, my brothers and sisters, for your kindness, for those who are part of the H.P. Rochelle Ecumenical Choir, his daughter, Kathy, who uh, facilitated me being here in Los Angeles. Thank you so very much. For my colleagues who um, are team members with me at uh, St. Stephen Church in Louisville who came to Los Angeles to study some of the healthy churches uh, in this vicinity so we can go back to Louisville and be a better church for Christ. I thank God for them, and I'm going to ask if they would stand, all of my colleagues from St. Stephen Church, Louisville, if you would stand. And the woman who is uh, with the black dress on and the coat on, the jacket, that's my wife. Barnett, I'm asking you to stand. My wife of 33 years. And uh, I told her a long time ago that if she leaves me, I'm going with her. I'm going with her. It's no accident that when you get married, you put the wedding band on the left hand. And the reason why is because the left hand, for most people, unless your name is Barack Obama, who is left-handed, most of the world's inhabitants are right-handed people. So the, weak, the left hand is the weak hand. So when you put the wedding band on the left hand, what you are saying to the person you are marrying is, I know that you have weaknesses, but I'm not simply committing myself to your strengths, but I'm also committing myself to your weaknesses. And my wife has not simply been committed to my strengths, but she's been committed to my weaknesses. And so I thank God for her and her presence, and I thank God for you tonight. Let us pray together. Open now the crystal fountain from whence the healing waters flow. Bread of heaven, bread of heaven, feed us till we won't no more. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Would you take your Bibles out with me? And I want to look at two scriptures tonight. The first being found in the book of Genesis, chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. And in the book of Hebrews, the faith chapter, the Smithsonian faith chapter of the Bible, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 19, and verses 32 through 38. 
And as you're turning to Genesis, let me announce what the subject is. It's simple. Here it is. God can be trusted. God can be trusted. Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee to the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering unto one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled the ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son uh, and cleaved the wood from the burnt offering, rose up and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto the young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife and went both of them together. Isaac spake unto Abraham, his father, and said, My father, he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them, together. And they came to the place which had, God had told him of, and Abram built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took his knife to slay his son. And an angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram called in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for an burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. And then if you'll skip over with me now to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11. And the writer of Hebrews gives us more commentary on what happened in this story that we've read about Abraham and Isaac. He says in verses 17 through 19, by faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac and he had received and he had received, that he had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. And then skip down to verse 32 of this same chapter. And what shall I more say? For the time will fall me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson of Jephthah, 
of David also and Samuel and of the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to fight the armies of aliens, women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trials of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds, imprisonments. They were stoned, sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. This has to be one of the most difficult stories in the Bible to read. In fact, some critics of our faith wish that this particular story had never made its way into the pages of Scripture. Because the demand that God has placed on Abraham from the, our perspective, from the perspective of our values, our mores, our sensibilities. What God has asked Abraham to do is nothing less than outrageous. And I'm sure that when Abraham heard what God was calling for him to do, that at that moment, Abraham had to experience severe emotional torture. I don't think there is another personality in Scripture who had a greater demand placed on them like the demand that God is placing upon his servant Abraham. We read in Genesis chapter 22 and verse 1, the chapter opens up with this. After these things, did God test Abraham? After these things. Which begs the question, after what things? Well, to find out what things he's referring to, you have to go back to the preceding chapter, chapter 21. And when you look at chapter 21... It was not one of Abraham's most memorable chapters. It's one of those chapters that we sometimes experience in life which we wish we could just kind of skip over. Because if you read the 21st chapter, this is what you read about Abraham. First of all, there's tension in his family between he and his wife over another woman. A woman named Hagar. And if that's not enough, there is, if you read the 21st chapter, there's a broken down business arrangement that Abraham had with somebody named Abimelech. And then when you read the last verse of the chapter, it says that uh, Abraham is not experiencing any progress because he's living as a foreigner or a stranger in the land of the Philistines. So in the 21st chapter, family's messed up, money's messed up, and no progress. And then the 22nd chapter opens up with verse 1 saying, And after these things did God test Abraham. <laughs> Just when the time when Abraham really didn't need a test... Just when the time when Abraham needed some reassurance from God, 
the chapter opens up saying, now God does test Abraham. It is almost as though the 21st chapter was simply a warm-up game for the big tournament. You see, God will test his children. He'll test his children. Because a faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. Now, when you were in school, you took the lesson and then you were given the test. God does the opposite. He gives you the test first, and then as a result of the test, you learn a lesson. And if God tested Abraham, God will test you. In fact, when I read the scriptures, it seems to me that God has a habit of giving the tests to the best. <laughs> he, he doesn't test those who don't come out on Wednesday night. He don't test those who have one foot in the church and one foot out of the church. Now check the record. You'll see that throughout Scripture, God seems to test the best. And, and the problem with the test that Abraham is experiencing is that Abraham did not know it was a test. He just knew he was having some predicaments. He just knew he was in a quandary. And what makes a test a test is when we're going through the test, we don't realize that it's a test. We know we're broke. <laughs> we know we can't find a job. We know our kids are psycho. But we don't realize that, hey, we are experiencing a test. And what a test it was. I mean, it was more than a dilemma. It is though an archer had put the arrow in his bow and he aimed that arrow right at the center of Abraham's heart. Abraham, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to one of the mountains in the land of Moriah and offer him up as a burnt sacrifice, a mountain that I will show you. Now, this call to go offer his son uh, has specific enunciations from God. He, he, his old God is saying to Abraham, I know what I'm asking you to do, and I know what effect this is going to have on your heart. Take your son, take your only son, Isaac, and Isaac means laughter. Take the son that brings you laughter and joy. And I want you to offer him up as a burnt offering unto me. First, kill him. And then after you kill him, cremate him. So that all that is left is ashes. And I'm sure that when Abraham heard this command, his heart sunk and his knees buckled. But in obedience to God... Abraham got up and followed God's command. And what you read here in the 22nd chapter is almost similar to what happened when God first called Abraham. Because when God first called Abraham in the 12th chapter, God said to Abraham, now I want you to leave your family, your kindreds, and your relatives. Leave them. So in other words, Abraham, I want you to lose your past. And now he's saying, kill Isaac, which means now I want you to lose your future. 
He told Abraham, when you leave your family, your kindreds, your country, you will go to a land that I will show you. In other words, he doesn't even know where he's going. He packs everything in his U-Haul. He pulls out all his money from First National Bank of Ur of the Chaldeans. He leaves no forwarding address because he doesn't know where God's taking him. And here again, just like 30 years earlier, God is saying, uh, take Isaac to a mountain, I will show you. He doesn't even know which direction he's going. But like he did 30 years earlier, when God told him to do something that didn't make sense, he obeyed. And now 30 years later, God's telling him to do something that doesn't make sense, and he obeys. He gets up early the following morning, and he cuts up the wood for the altar. Then he places the wood on the back of a donkey, and then he, he, he conscripts two of his servants to accompany him on a three-day journey to this unknown place, a place that he had never been before. And sometimes God will take you to some places you've never been before. He'll take you outside your comfort zone. He'll take you to a new job. He'll take you to a new city, a new challenge, some new mountain, a place you've never been before. And Finally, when they get to that designated place, Abraham tells his two servants, now you two stay here at the foot of the mountain. And the lad and I, the boy and I, will go up and we will worship God and we will return. And he took the wood that was on the donkey's back and put it on Isaac's back and they made their way up the hill. But the story reaches its climax with the dialogue that takes place between Abraham and Isaac. Isaac looks at his dad and said, Dad, I see the wood and I see the fire, but where is the lamb for the sacrifice? No, 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 what can a dad say? I mean, what, 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 what do you say in a situation like this? I mean, what can you say? You can't say, son, it's you. You, you can't tell your son what God told you to do. I remember that scene in the movie, The Titanic, when there is a child who's on the boat, the water is rising in the ship, and the mama knows that all the lifeboats are already out in the water. And the child is asking the mama, well, what are we going to do? Well, what do you tell a child in a situation like that? We're going to drown? How do you, how, how do you, what do you say to your Isaac when he's asking you, well, 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 well Dad, where's the lamb? And sometimes you'll be in a situation in which you really don't know what to say because you don't have the answer, you don't have all the solutions. So all Abraham says to his son is what sometimes you got to say. And that is that, son, God can be trusted to provide what we need. Now, you try telling that to your child. See how far you'll get. The interesting thing is that Isaac had no follow-up questions. You tell your child God will provide, and they're going to have a lot of follow-up questions. One mother so tired of her child always asking, but mama, why? Mama, why? But mama, why? And the mother said, well, Baby, don't you realize that the curiosity killed the cat? And she looked at her mama. Well, mama, what was the cat curious about? 
You try telling your child, God will provide and see if there are not a whole lot of follow-up questions. But the interesting about Isaac is when his dad said God will provide, there were no follow-up questions. He just said God can be trusted to provide. And Abraham said God can be trusted to provide a lamb not because Abraham saw a lamb. And that's what faith is. Faith is believing that God's got a solution, even though you don't see the solution. Anybody can shout when you see it, but it takes faith to shout even when you don't see it. And notice what he said. He told those two servants before they went up in the mountain, we're going up to worship, but we will return. Now, when he said we will return, do you know what he was really saying? He did not think that God was going to rescind the command to kill his son. The writer of Hebrews says that what he was thinking was that if I have to kill my son, somehow God is going to raise him back to life again. In other words, what he is saying, even before it shows up, I believe in a God who is the God of a resurrection. So that even if my son dies, God will raise him up again. And what's interesting is because Abraham has faith, his son starts having faith. Because when we think of Isaac, what's in our mind? We think of a little preschooler. Because the text says the boy. But in the Hebrew language of the Old Testament, boy can mean any age up to about 17 or 18. Which means that Isaac, no doubt, was about 15 or 16 years old. Now, how many of you know that no 100-plus old man can tie down a 15, 16-year-old rambunctious teenager unless the teenager submits to the will of his father. So as he was tying his son up, his son did not rebel, but submitted to his father, which means that the faith the father had has been transmitted to the son. And eventually what you have will be transmitted to your children. There was a father who stormed to his son's school and bawled out the teacher and the principal because this is what he said. He said, my son has been using a whole lot of profanity lately and I want to know where in the hell is he getting it from? <laughs> Whatever is in you, you eventually pass on to your kids. And Isaac has faith because his daddy has faith. And he ties him up, lays him on the altar, lifts up his hand with the intention of lowering that blade in the heart of his son. But his hand gets stuck in the air. And the reason his hand gets stuck in the air is because there's a lamb that's been stuck in the bush. <laughs> Behind Abraham, there was a lamb. God said, Abraham, hold your peace. There's a lamb in the bush. Because you see, what was happening was that while Abraham was climbing one side of the mountain, God had sent a lamb up 
the other side of the mountain. And that's why you got to trust him because you don't see what's going on on the other side of the mountain. You see, my brothers and sisters, I'm here to tell you that God can be trusted. He comes back down that mountain and he comes back with Isaac in his hand. He's happy. He's shouting. And that's a wonderful story, isn't it? Great story. But you better be careful. You got to be careful with a story like this. Because if you would be honest tonight, while Isaac came down the mountain with his, with Abraham came down with Isaac, there's a whole lot of you tonight who have been up that mountain. You took someone or something that was precious to you up that mountain, but you're not Abraham. Because while Abraham brought Isaac down, there's a whole lot of you who were called to go to that same mountain, trusting God to provide. But when you came down, you came down empty-handed. Some of you took your marriage up that mountain. And you read this story about how God would provide and you said, well, God, when I come back down the mountain, I, I want to have my boo with me. But when you came back down the mountain, you came down with an unwanted divorce paper. Or some of you in here went up the mountain with your business or your job, hoping that you would be able to leave that test with your business or your job in hand. But when you came back down the mountain, you didn't have a job. I know a brother in Louisville who shouted in church, praised God in church, and started a business called uh, Chicago Hot Dog Stand. And he went up the mountain believing that God was going to save his business. But the bills piled up. And he had to shut that business and come down that mountain with a whole lot of bills and no hot dog stand. There's a woman, maybe she's here tonight, but I spoke with her and her husband yesterday because this couple had a, an adult daughter. And they went up the mountain hoping that they would be able to save their daughter. They love God. They have faith. But she and her husband came down the mountain, but her child did not come down with them because the child died. And the reason why I'm saying this to us is because if you have the kind of faith that thinks that every time you trust God, that means you're going to always come down the mountain with something special intact. You're going to be disappointed because you are holding God to promises God didn't make. The only thing worse than a woman with too much makeup on is a faith that's got too much makeup on it. And some of us put too much powder on our faith. Cover up stuff. Shout when we're really mad. Praise God when we're really angry. Act like everybody gets a miracle and every marriage gets fixed and everybody gets healed, but that's not true. Some Isaacs go up and come down. Some Isaacs go up, don't come down. See, the problem with us is that we shout at the wrong time. 
You see, when we read a story like this, or they say a story about those three Hebrew boys who survived the fiery furnace because they would not bow down when Nebuchadnezzar said, bow down at the sound of the music. Let me tell you when most of us are waiting to get our shout on. When the king looks in and sees them walking around in the ashes. But I want you to know, my brothers and sisters, that's the wrong time to shout. Even if they didn't survive the fiery furnace, still you can shout. And the reason you shout anyhow is because of what they said. They said, our God is able to deliver. But if not, in other words, you got to have a if not to your faith. See, see, what makes these three Hebrew boys great is not that they survived, but they were willing to trust God even if they did not survive. Let me illustrate. There was a fisherman in Maine, this is back many years ago, and his family had a fishing business, and they go out into the ocean to catch fish. And one day, his sons who worked for the fishing business went out in the ocean, but they got caught in a storm out there in the ocean. And they didn't come back. So the father decided to go and see if he could find his son who was out there in the ocean, and he couldn't find him. So he had to break the bad news to his mother, to his wife. He said, Margaret, we can't find Billy. And they grieved. Well, about a month later, another fishing business, another family, there was a community of fishermen, had sons out there in the ocean in the middle of a storm. And they were trying to get all of the other fishermen to go out there and help them rescue them. And Margaret told her husband, she said, you can't go out there. And he said, I got to go out there. They went out and helped me when Billy was lost. I got to help them. And she said, you're right. Go on. And he went out there in that storm with those other fishermen. And about nine hours later, as Margaret had been praying all that time, nine hours later, she looks out and she sees a ship coming in with a lantern waving back and forth in the night and she runs to the, to the edge of the water and her husband says, Margaret, Margaret, I'm back. We found the boys. We saved them. And Margaret, we found Billy. We got Billy. Now most of us shout because they found Billy. But even if they didn't find Billy, the reason to shout is that they had enough integrity not to be selfless and go out there and do something regardless of the consequences. You see, my brothers and sisters, sometimes you get your Isaac, he comes down. Sometimes you don't get your Isaac. But notice what my subject is. God can be trusted. Because if you get your Isaac, then he has given you uh, grace to escape. And if he's given you grace to escape, well, you got your Isaac coming down the mountain, then praise him. But if you come down the mountain and you don't have your Isaac, your job, your marriage, your health, your parents, still shout. Because he can still be trusted. Trusted for what? He will either give you grace to escape or you can trust him to give you grace to endure. And sometimes you don't shout because you've escaped it. Sometimes you shout because he's given you grace to endure it. 
Am I right about it? Sometimes he just gives you enough grace to just get through some things, to endure some things. And if I could, could call a roll in here, some of you in here are shouting because you escaped. You can say, hallelujah, I got my Isaac. We came down. I prayed. Look at me. But for some of y'all who didn't get it, don't you feel like you a second-class Christian? Don't you let anybody make you think that your faith somehow is less? than the next person because what you can shout about is that in spite of the fact that I did not get what I wanted God has given me grace to endure hard times broke times sick times and I don't know what ought to make you shout the most should you shout the most because you escaped? Or should you shout the most because when you think about all you've been through, that somehow you did not lose your mind? Somehow you did not crack up? If folk only knew all the hell you've been through, they would be shouting for you. But when you think of how God has kept you, not because you have second-class faith. I, you know, sometimes I think it takes more to not get your miracle. It takes more faith just to say, God, I just trust you. And listen, I don't know who will come down the mountain with Isaac. I don't know who won't get the Isaac. Because notice the subject is God can be trusted. It does not say God can be explained. Nobody can figure God out. Sometimes he takes your Isaac and you come down the hill by yourself because he's getting ready to give you something else. He took one thing away because he's getting ready to put something else in your situation. I don't know what he's up to because he can't be explained. Sometimes he will shut one door because he's getting ready to open another door. I don't know what he's going to do, but I do know this, that he can't be trusted. And that if he does not give you strength or a miracle to escape it, he will give you grace to endure it. And I wish I had somebody in here tonight who does not mind looking back just over this year and does not mind saying there have been many days when I did not come back down with my Isaac, but look at me now. If it were not for the grace of God, what would I be? And you know what? The fact of the matter is one of the reasons why I know you're not a second-class Christian because you don't come down with your Isaac is because, you see, this story is what you call a preview of coming attractions. I don't know if you've been picking up the nuances, but see if this Old Testament story is not pointing to something that's getting ready to happen in the New Testament. Take your son your only son whom you love and offer him as a sacrifice. Y'all still don't get it. Three-day journey. Y'all still don't get it. Get on a donkey. 
Rocket. Palm Sunday. Y'all still don't get this. When they got to the foot of the mountain, he took the wood off the donkey, put it on his son's back, and his son climbed a hill with wood on his back. Wood, he was going to die on. Y'all still don't get it. The son didn't have to do it, but he submitted himself to the will of his father because Abraham believed that if the son dies, God is able to resurrect him. from the dead. But there's one major difference. Abraham came down with his son intact, but God didn't come down with Jesus intact because he was wounded for my transgressions. He was bruised for my iniquity. The chastisement of my peace was upon him. And with his stripes, I'm healed. In other words, anyway, you want to bless me, I will be satisfied. Trust him if your Isaac comes down. Trust him if your Isaac don't come down. Shout. If you get the job, shout if you don't get the job. Dance if you can pay the bill. But dance if you lose your house. Because if he don't let you escape, he will give you grace to endure. Do I have a witness in here? Would you look at your neighbor and say, neighbor? I didn't get what I wanted, but I'm not crazy. He's given me grace to keep on keeping on. And whatever he does, I'm gonna trust him. Trust him on a broke day. Trust him on a sad day. Trust him on no money days. Trust him on unemployed days. Trust him on sick days. Trust him on difficult days. Do you know why? Because he's trustworthy. You know why? Because he's time tested. He's unique, unparalleled, indestructible, irresistible, undefeatable, invincible. Trust him, even though I can't see and I can't feel your touch. I trust you, Lord, how I love you so much. Though my night may seem long and I feel so alone, Lord, my trust is in you. I surrender to you. So many painful nights have traveled through my mind and I wonder how I'm gonna make it this time. But I trust you through the tears and pain, through the heartache and rain. I trust you. I can. I will. I must trust you. If he don't get you out, he will get you through. Trust him. I will trust you. I will trust you. God will make a way. God will make 
Trust him. Trust him. Trust him. Trust him. Trust him. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, if he gives me my asset, I'm going to shout. But if he don't, I'm still going to shout because he will give me grace to get through. Do I have a witness? Is there anybody know? that you should have blew your brain out. Is anybody know with all the hell you've been through, you should have lost it a long time ago. Somebody shout grace, grace. And the next time you come to church and you shout, jumping up and down, and folk look at you and say, don't take all that. Stick your hand in their face and say, Negro, please, where were you when I was broke? Where were you when I was sick? Where were you when I didn't think I was going to make it? I will. Trust. 